Thanks, Ryan, and we are looking forward to next week. And hey, you just got told the to church to go binge watch romantic comedies for the next seven days, and make sure you listen to Love Songs on the Coast. So take that for what it's worth, and uh, use that card this week. But tonight we want to follow up the, this last weekend sermon. I want you to think about, hey, if we were to step away from church and get into the business world tonight, in a business, waste, inefficiency, failure to make a profit can be a killer. It can be the end of your business. Occasionally, my wife and I, we watch a TV show, some of you may watch, called The Prophet. And that's where I know you're at church, you might think prophet, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, no, prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, like is your business profitable? Where this guy named Marcus Lemonis, he goes into struggling businesses and he invests in them and he tries to turn them around. And as he does so, one of the questions that he always starts talking to them about with whatever their business is, he starts saying, what are your margins? And he tries to help them see that if you can get more money, if your margin can increase where you're making more money every time you make a sale, then your profit over the course of a year can go through the roof. It makes a huge difference, and hence the name of the show, The Profit. Well, I want to talk tonight here at Thrive about profit, but it doesn't have anything to do with margins, doesn't have anything to do with money, doesn't have anything to do with business, but it has everything to do with your relationship with God, with your walk with Christ. I don't want us to think tonight, hey, every time you're making a sale, are you making a profit? No, what I want us to think tonight Hey, every time you interact with God's word, are you making a profit? Not for your pocketbook, not for your bank account, but for your soul, for your spiritual life. When you do daily Bible reading, when you hear a sermon at church, is that something that actually benefits you? That's what I want us to think about tonight. Are you getting anything out of it? You know the old saying, practice makes perfect. Well, old football coach Vince Lombardi said, no, practice does not make perfect. Only proper practice makes perfect. As we think through one of the fundamentals of the Christian life, interacting with God's word, whether that's reading the Bible, hearing sermons taught to us, we want to say, are we doing that right? Are we just practicing and going through the motions, or is this proper practice? Are we profiting from it? And I want you to see the difference that this could make in your life. I want you to understand the difference this could make in your marriage, the difference it could make in your parenting. We're not talking about the success or failure of your business. We're talking about really the, whether your family, your spiritual life are going to thrive or not. See what I did there? Thrive? Yeah. There you go. So take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 20. And we want to see where we were this weekend with Pastor Mike. And we started there in verse 9. What we were looking at was a parable that Jesus told. And we'll just look at what Pastor Mike's points were. First point was, consider your response to God's word. And that was coming from verses 9 through 12. Let's look at those. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. 
and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And if you really dug into this, Jesus is making a pointed accusation at the Jewish people. Who are these servants? Well, they represent the prophets. That God had sent the prophets all throughout the Old Testament to the people of Israel. And every time he sent the prophet, most of the time the people said, "Eh, we don't want to listen to you. But God kept sending, but the people weren't listening. And then the second point, since the absurdity of rejecting Christ... Verses 13 through 15. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to them? I mean, you read that and it's an absurd story to think about these people that would kill the son of the owner of the vineyard that they are working for. I mean, you look at that and that's absurd, but the point is, if you really step back and think about the fact that Jesus was crucified, that was absurd. You think about these people, especially the Jewish leaders that spent their lives studying God's word. And Scott talked about it last week. They knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And when they start getting asked, where is the Messiah going to be born? Did any of them go and check it out? No. But it's not just that. It's not just that they missed Jesus. It's they killed him. They crucified him. They made him the enemy. And that's absurd. And yet today, people reject Christ. When he is the solution, when he is the Savior, when he died for their sins, they still spurn him. Which then gets to a warning. That was the third point. Fear the penalties of rebellion, verses 16 through 18. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them. And I hope you get a sense of the confrontation that this passage is. Even when he talks about a vineyard, go look at Isaiah 5. That was a famous, a beautiful poetic passage where God compares the Israelites, the the people of Judah, to a vineyard. So when when Jesus is even choosing the topic here, I mean, this is a huge finger in the chest of the Jews and the religious leaders. So he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So what we want to do tonight, and even for some of you that are new at Thrive, what we do lots of times here on Thursday nights is we follow up to the weekend sermon that Pastor Mike taught, and we try to really think through the application of this to our lives. We try to dig in deeper to some aspect of that message and think about its relevance to us, and many times in this ministry, highlighting its relevance to our marriages or to family. And what I really want to focus in on tonight is point number one, consider your response to God's word. Getting us back to where we started when you interact with God's word, are you, is your soul making a profit from it? And we looked at those verses where 
Jesus talks about God, the, the owner sent a servant and they mistreated him. And so he sent another one and he sent another one. Historically, that was referring to the prophets. But presently, Jesus is putting his finger in their chest saying, you still haven't learned the lesson. It's not that you're looking back and being like, oh no, what did they do? They rejected the prophets. Now you are rejecting the Messiah. This is confrontational. They knew a lot about God's word, but they weren't making the obvious application, the most obvious application to embrace the Messiah that they'd been waiting for for hundreds of years. They, they knew so much, but they weren't doing anything about it. And I don't want any of us to make that same mistake here. Where I know many of you, you know a lot about God's word. We want to make sure that we're not letting it fall through the cracks, not doing anything about it. And so we'll focus most on this first point, which uh, let's kind of reword it this way for us tonight. As you consider your response to God's word, I want you to maximize your time in God's word. And right now, start thinking about the different ways that you interact with God's Word. And I guess I'm hopefully I'm taking for granted that you are spending time in God's Word, but you reading your Bible on a daily basis. Think, think about that. Are you getting the most out of that time? You coming to church and hearing sermons? You reading other books or doing some deeper Bible study on your own? Are you getting the most out of that time? And, and tonight, I just want to be very practical, and I want to give you three simple things to think about in order to maximize your time with God's Word, whenever that might be. And whether that's you're reading a chapter in the Bible, or as you're driving home from church thinking about what you heard, here's three things to think about. And the first one is learn. What did I learn from what I just read? And I guess when I'm saying learn, I'm thinking about this almost more on an academic, intellectual level. Did, do I know anything now that I didn't know before? And this is where you have to push yourself a little bit to learn something new. Sometimes you're going to have to dig in. And that's why your Bible reading can't just be, well, I just kind of keep going back to my, fav, my five favorite passages. Uh, no, but maybe I'm reading through the Bible. And some of you say, well, I've read through the Bible. This is my fifth year doing the daily Bible reading. Great. When you read the daily Bible reading today, don't you think, oh yeah, I remember I learned that a few years ago. No, what did you learn today? Maybe this is where you need a good tool, like a, a good study Bible that, that's going to help you learn more and dig in deeper than you ever have before. You want to learn something. Another thing that you want to do every time you interact with God's Word is you want to worship. You want to take what you read or you want to take what you heard and you want to ask, how can I worship God because of this? What, what's going on in the Bible that I can praise God for? This is where you move from just engaging your mind to also engaging your heart. And some would argue that the most basic storyline of the Bible and the point of it is God's glory. That's the theme of God's word. The whole thing is telling a story of how great God is. Well, if that is the point of the story, don't miss the point. Even in your own quiet time. Make sure that that is a time of worship for you, where you're taking what you read and you're stopping to say, wow, God, you are amazing. You are good. You are faithful, whatever it might be. Theology, when it's done rightly, should always lead to doxology, should always lead to praise and to worship. But then third, the third thing you should think about every time you interact with God's word is do. What am I going to do about 
what I just heard. And this is where Pastor Mike was really trying to lean in to us this weekend and really trying to impress this point upon us. And this is what the religious leaders were spectacularly failing to do. And this is an incredibly important point. Turn with me to James chapter 1. This passage might be familiar to some of you, but it makes the point that Pastor Mike was talking about and that I'm saying here, it makes it crystal clear. Couldn't be any simpler, couldn't be any more straightforward. James chapter 1 and verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Did you get that part at the end of the verse? It says that if you are hearing God's word, so even I'm learning something new, I'm supposedly worshiping God for what I'm learning, but you're not doing it, it says that the first thing you're doing is you are lying to yourself. You are deceiving yourself yourself when you hear God's word, but you don't do it. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once he forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you Looking in the mirror isn't going to fix your hair. But looking in your mirror and you see, oh, this is, this is messed up. You, you got to then do something about it. Looking at the Bible, just reading the Bible by itself, that's not going to do what needs to happen. Then you've got to take what you've, you've got to look in the mirror and then make the changes that need to be made. And even it ends here with two examples. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he's religious, thinks, yeah, I know the Bible. Yeah, I, I worship God. And doesn't bridle his tongue, but here deceives his heart. Again, you're lying to yourself. This person's religious is, religion is worthless. Saying, if you think, yeah, I know God's word, but you can't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Your religion is no good. And then next, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Saying, you want to do what it says? Well, then show compassion and care for the people that need it, and keep your life pure and holy. You need all three of these things that we're talking about, and this last one perhaps most importantly, because if you're learning something and you are supposedly worshiping, but there's no application, you're not doing what God's word says, what's that? that that's hypocrisy. You're a hypocrite. You're, you're lying to yourself, and you're, you know, dishonoring God before other people because you profess him, but you don't show it. If you, there's no worship, you're learning and you're doing, well, then that's kind of the, the true sense of legalism where you just think, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, so therefore I'm, I'm good with God instead of worshiping God and at the center of that, that I need a savior and I'm worshiping God for that. Or if there's no learning, if you're just, hey, I'm worshiping and I'm doing, well, then you're rudderless. You're just going to be dominated by your, whatever you feel is right instead of what is, what is true. Your interaction with God's word, you need all three of these elements. And even I want to encourage you to have all three of these elements whenever you're interacting with God's word. Let, let's get really practical now. Let's like workshop this and let's just take daily Bible reading today. 
If you read daily Bible reading today, how could you do this there? Daily Bible reading today, Leviticus 4 through 6 and Matthew 25, 1 through 30. If you're tracking with us in the daily Bible reading, this is, this is what we did. Well, you want to ask all three of these things. And let's see, Leviticus 4 through 6, again, I highly recommend you having some kind of good study Bible. We've got a couple good study Bibles in, in the bookstore, but you, you can start seeing, okay, what's the difference between the guilt offering and the sin offering? And you could see, okay, the guilt offering, that was clearly more intense. The sacrifices were more valuable. That was, uh, that was a more serious sacrifice. Okay, I've learned something I didn't know, and they're in distinguishing with these, but then you're going to think, what can I worship God for? Think about that. If you read daily Bible reading today, if you read Leviticus 4 through 6 this morning, or if you're going to read it later tonight, then the nine times you are going to read this phrase or something very close to it, at least there in chapter 4, verse 26, it ends this way. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. Then at the end of verse 31, and the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Nine times you're going to come across that phrase. Well, let's just think. Nine times being confronted with the reality of atonement and forgiveness. Anything you can worship God there for? Any ideas there? Yeah. Because we should be, as New Testament people, thinking, hey, these sacrifices, what were they pointing forward to? They were pointing forward to Jesus. And he wasn't just the priest, he was also the sacrifice. And he was the atonement so I could be forgiven for my sin. And Leviticus then goes from being, oh yeah, that really hard book to, man, I am worshiping my Savior for the atonement of my sins and my forgiveness right now. This is amazing. That's what it should be like when we read God's word. And then you start thinking, okay, I've read from Leviticus, I've read from Matthew, what can I do today? Well, maybe a helpful thought doing today, if you read Matthew 25, tells that parable of the ten virgins, and five of them were wise, and they were prepared, and five of them weren't, and so they ended up missing out on the party, and the parable ends with Jesus saying in verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And there could be a whole list of things that you could do today where you think through, okay, what are some specific things that I want to do today to be ready in case today is the day that Jesus Christ returns? Maybe that gets you thinking, you know what, I want to make sure that my thoughts are pure today. And I know I might be tempted by this, but I'm going to remember Jesus could return today. I'm going to be ready for that. Or maybe you're challenged about your attitude. Man, I don't want to complain about work today. Because today could be the day that Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, I don't want him to catch me, you know, grumpy about my boss. I want him to catch me being thankful and rejoicing in the Lord. Or maybe it makes you think about somebody that you're wanting to share the gospel with, and it gives you some urgency to do that. There should be a whole plethora of ways you could think, man, I I could apply that. I could do something about that today. And you could do this anytime you read the Bible. You can do this anytime you hear a sermon. You should be thinking through these things, especially as you think through the do. If we think of sanctification in our life, our process of spiritual growth, even scripture kind of compares it to a a war. And that war for spiritual growth in your life is going to be fought. There's there's going to be some central battlefields in that war. And, And lots of times those battlefields are going to be some of the major circumstances going on in your life. 
Well, let's say maybe your situation at work is rough right now. That's going to be one of the major battlefields where God is trying to grow you. For all of us in this room, probably one of those arenas where we're going to grow is marriage, where God's going to call us to work through conflict and fulfill the roles that he has called us to. So for those of us in, in this room, and you think, what are those battlefields in your life? That's where every day you should especially be thinking, do. What do I need to do? Yeah, read daily Bible reading and start thinking, does any of this apply to my marriage? And you might think of something like Matthew 25, watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour. That doesn't say anything about loving your wife or submitting to your husband or working through conflict. But maybe today as you think through that, you think, you know what? I've got this opportunity to love my wife today. I'm going to do that as if this was the last day I would ever live because Jesus could come back today. And it could provide all kinds of application to these central areas of your life. And you might think, well, if I do that, if I ask myself, what do I need to do? Every time I read the Bible and every time I hear a sermon, Pastor Ben, within two weeks, I'm going to have 25 things to do. How am I going to keep track of all those 25 things? Well, this is what I would encourage you to do. Just focus on wherever you are now. This whole week, keep thinking about what you heard at church on Sunday with Pastor Mike's preaching. Today, keep chewing on what you read today in your daily Bible reading. And keep focusing on those things. Yeah, we can't focus on 100 things at once. We all understand that. But at least focus today on this. Focus this week on what you heard in the sermon. Make the most of your time in God's word. And really, I want you, this is kind of where Pastor Mike ended up getting at the end, but I also want you tonight to consider the consequences of failure. If you don't do this, if you don't maximize your time in the Word. If you think about it from a business perspective, if you're not getting a good margin, if your company's not profitable, you're going out of business. Well, if you're not getting something out of your time with God's Word, well, what's the consequences there? And some of you here tonight, you're, you're not making the most of your time in God's Word. Some of you, you are what James described. You are the person that hears, but they're not doing how does that end? Well, one of your HFG questions tonight, you looked up Matthew chapter 7, which you don't need to turn there because most of you probably learned a song as a kid in, in Sunday school that tells that parable of Jesus. The wise man built his house upon the rock. You guys remember that? And then the foolish man built his house upon the sand. You remember at the end of that song, the house on the rock stood what? Firm. And the house on the sand went splat. And Matthew chapter 7 says, what's the difference? Well, it says the wise man, he's the one who hears the teachings of mine and does them. And the foolish man, Jesus says, is the person that hears my teaching and doesn't do them. And if that's the camp that you're in tonight, you need to know that your house is going to go splat when the rains come down and the floods come up. And you might say, ah, no, I'm good. Well, that's because the sun is shining right now. But someday that's going to come. And is your house going to stand firm or is your house going to go splat? And even as I was thinking about it, it's painful for me to think about the people I've known, the people that have been here at church, people even that I've served alongside in ministry. And you could always kind of see that there was, some, there was a disconnect between how they would talk and how they would live. 
And you kind of always thought it, but, you know, they were, here they were, here they were. But, and then someday, boom, it went splat because there was never anything real going on in their life. They were talking the talk, they were playing the game, but someday the game was over and they were out. And I don't want that to be any of you in this room. And if that is you, James 1 says that you are self-deceived. And the first thing that you've got to do, some of you in this room, is you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest that I'm not the spiritual giant I think I am. I'm not this picture-perfect wife that I want to portray myself to be. I'm not this strong husband-father that I should be. I'm I'm not those things. I, I, I know the right answers, but I'm not doing it. You need to be honest with yourself. Some of you in the room, you need to be honest really that I've never got right with Christ. All I've done is learn right answers, but I've never really turned from my sin. And you gotta start by being honest with yourself so that then you can be honest with God. In 1 John chapter one, it says, whoever says, I don't have any sin, he's lying and the truth is not in him. But then it goes on to say, but if we confess our sin, And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what needs to happen for some of you tonight. But for a lot of us, we need to be careful of of the slow fade into stagnation that can come when we aren't maximizing our time in God's word. Probably watched the Super Bowl on Sunday. Maybe you had a party. Maybe even there was a bowl of potato chips somewhere. When you dump the potato chips out into the bowl, it's not like they go stale right away. It's not like, hurry, 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 eat, eat these. Because this, the first quarter, by the second quarter, they're going to be disgusting. No, it's, they're going to be fine the whole game. But if you leave them out overnight and you come back the next day and you grab a handful of those chips and you try chowing down on those, yeah, that's just not going to be very good, is it? They're going to be nasty. They're going to be stale. But that can be true spiritually where you might, you know, Wait, you don't wake up one morning and say, eh, whatever, I'm just going to deceive myself and be a hypocrite today. It's not generally how it works. How it works is one day goes by and you read God's word and you don't get anything out of it. And then another day, and then another day, and then another day. And then eventually you come and you take a bite out of your spiritual life and you're like, yuck, this is stale. How did it get that way? Well, just through the slow fade of not doing anything and not maximizing your time in God's word. Charles Spurgeon said, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And that's what really what God's word is going to do to you every time you interact with it. It's going to, it's going to melt you, it's going to make you soft and moldable, or it's just going to harden you. And every day you're just going to get a little bit harder and harder. Which one of those are you? Are you making a profit from your time with God's word, or are you not? I hope that tonight challenges us and even just reminds us of some of these basic, simple things that hopefully we can do on a daily basis as we interact with God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for the treasure that it is. God, that we have it right here in our hands. We have it on our phones, on our computers, everywhere. Um, God, we thank you for this church where we have such a great senior pastor who's so gifted at teaching. God, even a a pastor who specifically, I think we can be thankful for in our day and age, not only does a great job explaining the word and what it means, but also does a great job showing how it should impact our lives. Even just in the way he outlines his sermons, highlights the application that it should make uh, for us. 
God, I pray for us that we would maximize those times. God, that as we think about it, we would go and do something about what your word says. God, even if it's to just to pray about something or even to, I need to think about this today or have this attitude today. God, that we would be faithful uh, just every time we open your word to learn something, to, uh, to worship you for something and, and to find something, God, that we need to go do in response to your word. Make us soft, God, in our hearts. Make us moldable in our lives. And may you use your word to do that. And even just the small groups that we're going to have right now, God, make them profitable so that we might learn from them and grow. In Jesus' name, amen.